So I was journaling the other day, and as I was journaling, I said to myself, Paul, what is, what's up with this theme for Advent of all of this watching and waiting and um, the weariness of the world? And uh, because we, we recognize that we look around and we're like, things are not as they ought to be. And, and Paul, do you really you know, have to keep reminding us of that? And, and I struggled with that because there was this sense of like, I want to get to Christmas. Dang it. Like, like let, let's get there because this is taking forever to get to Christmas. But this season of Advent, as we've been talking about, is really the idea of watching and waiting, of, of looking at a world where things really aren't as they ought to be. And, and this morning, we're going to be taking a look at the book of Habakkuk. Um, people have been giving me a hard time about never really hearing a sermon from the book of Habakkuk, so maybe that's a good thing. But Habakkuk's this prophet who also is is looking at his world, trying to make sense of it, asking God, how, how long until you show up? How long until you right the wrongs? Lord, Lord, where are you in the midst of all this trouble, in the midst of all of this uncertainty? And I, and I think if we're honest, we, we sometimes find ourselves asking those same kinds of questions. So Habakkuk, just for those of you who, who don't remember him all that well, uh, he was a prophet around the, the, the 600 BC time, probably 610, 615, somewhere in there, um, right around the time of, of actually Jeremiah, who we spent the last summer uh, looking at. And, and things were bleak for the, the community or for the, the nation of Judah. Um, Josiah was no longer king, and, and his relatives had come on the throne, and, and they were not ruling well. And Habakkuk looks around and says, God, where are you? Why are you letting this happen? How long until you return, um, until you make everything right again? And, and we know from the Psalms and we know in different places that that question of how long is really an important um, question that psalmists are often asking. So the reason, though, I also really like Habakkuk is is I think he gives us um, three great points in terms of how we live spiritually, if you will, in the midst of, of crisis, in the midst of difficulty. Um, the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about how do we respond to the darkness that's around us. I think I've, I've talked more in the sense of saying, um, what can we do? What can we give? Um, how can we physically help those people who are the least of these or, or those people need? That's one of the ways I think we push back against the darkness. I think that's why Jesus said, you'll always have the poor with you because there is this, this calling on our lives to care for the least of these. That's one of the ways we push back against the darkness. But I think internally and in our spiritual lives, we also have to wrestle through um, how, how do we deal with this in the spiritual sense? And I think Habakkuk gives us three great themes that we're going to be looking at this morning. I'm just going to read those so I get them correct. Um, the first is we, we cry out to God when life doesn't make sense. The second one is we find a place to listen to God and what God might have to say to us, a place where we can hear from God. And the final thing is this. We keep the faith and we move out in hope. And so those are kind of the three themes that we want to talk about this morning. And we're going to begin this journey in Habakkuk uh, chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 4. We read this. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? 
Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. And what's interesting to me in the book of Habakkuk is, is his rebuke. Oftentimes in the, the prophets, we read that there is a rebuke of the prophets against the people. But Habakkuk almost seems to be rebuking God. And so for us, we want to look at that of, of saying that it is important for us to see and to understand that we have the privilege, we have the right of calling out to God, of saying this is isn't right. How long, Lord? And what's interesting is that that word, how long, that phrase, was actually spoken by God long before it was spoken by the people of Israel. Exodus chapter 16, verse 28, we read this. Then the Lord said to Moses, and this is in the context of God giving the manna um, so the people of Israel could eat and then telling them on the seventh day they were to rest, that there would be no manna provided. But yet the people went out and they looked for manna, even though God had said, I'll give you a double portion um, on the day before the Sabbath. They still went out and they looked. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? How long? When the people of Israel get to the to the promised land in, in the book of Numbers, and, and then they waver on going in, and, and Joshua and Caleb say we should go in, and the other spies say we shouldn't go in, and they make a decision not to go in, and then God says, how long? How long are you not going to trust me? But in much the same way, Habakkuk asked God the same thing. How long? How long do I have to put up with this? How long do I have to put up with justice being paralyzed and perverted is the language that he uses. How long? Why, God? You, God, you don't seem to care. And I think this is the beauty of the relationship that we have with God. Is that we get to go to him and pour out our hearts. As many of you know, um, I shared uh, several weeks ago about our dear friend Kathy, who's uh, been in our covenant group. And my wife and I, prayed with God and we pleaded with God to spare her, to heal her, to give her time. And then on Thanksgiving morning, she passed away. And it honestly doesn't make sense. Less than eight weeks after her diagnosis, she's gone. Her husband has no wife. Her kids have no mother. And Shannon and I honestly we don't get, we're like, God, we pleaded with you. We cried out to you. As I tell this church, we do recognize the reality that the idea of fairness ended at the garden of Eden because life simply is not fair. And that's why I'm so grateful that we have a God who we can go to and we can hound and we can be brutally honest and we can say, God, we feel as though you don't care. We feel as though you don't listen. And that's what Habakkuk is saying. And, and the beauty of these verses is that, that he helps us to see that God wants us to be honest with him, that we have that right to do that, that we are created in God's image and not only creating God, God's image, but because of that, we, we have the right to be in relationship with him because of what Christ has done. So Habakkuk lays it on the line. He is brutally honest with God. He cries out and says, this doesn't make 
sense. And for us in our own lives, there's times when that is very much a real thing. But the second thing is this, is he then goes and he finds a place where he can listen for how God will respond. Because I think this is the problem sometimes. You and I, we, we get upset with God. We yell at God. We, you know, maybe even we curse at God. I don't, I don't know what we do. And we say, this isn't fair. But then we just walk away. But what God wants us to, God, God has a word for us. It may not be a word we always want to hear. But the question for me is this, is do we then make time to listen for the voice of the Lord in response to our crying out? This is Habakkuk chapter 2. Verses 1 and one through 4. He writes, So I will stand watch at my watch, and I will station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what God will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied. So here comes God's response. Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time It speaks of the end, and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come, and it will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. And then here's this line. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. What Habakkuk does, and I think it's a really important teaching moment for us, He says, I'm going to go up to the watchtower. I'm going to go up to the ramparts. I'm going to go and listen for what God might have to say to me. And this is, this is seen throughout the scriptures. Moses does this. Elijah does this. Isaiah chapter 21. um, God tells Isaiah to appoint a watchman uh, to send someone out to look out on the horizon and see what's going to happen. And what Habakkuk does is, is he gets above the crowd. He gets to a place where he can have perspective. I heard several months ago, someone was talking about um, leadership and talking about the importance of, of, of how, we, how we work with people. And, and he said this, he said, you need to look from the balcony and you need to listen from the floor. You need to listen to what people are saying around you. This is what Habakkuk is doing. He, he's on the ground level. He's listening. He's seeing. He's observing. And things are not going well. But Habakkuk needs perspective. And so he goes up to the watchtower. And this person would say, you go up to the balcony and you look out. And you have a completely different perspective when you're on the balcony than when you're on the floor. You have much more perspective from the balcony. You actually get to see things differently. And this is why I think it's really important to find that place where we can have some perspective that is given to us by God. We look for the watchtower. And God says this. I mean, as he responds to, to, to Habakkuk in, in verse 2 of chapter 2, he says, Write down the revelation. Make it plain on the tablets so that a herald can run with it. Make the message simple. Make it clear. So that whoever reads it, so that whoever reads it might run with it. I love that image of saying, "This is what God does for us. He gives us a very clear message so that we can read it and we can run with it. We can have hope. We can keep the faith, because God says, "I am with you." And He says in verse three, "The revelation awaits an appointed time. It points. It speaks of the end. It will not prove false. It may linger." And this is what we really struggle with, but it will come. This is God's promise. This is God saying, you got to wait for it, 
but I will show up. This is the story of Advent. This is John the Baptist out there saying, Jesus is on the way. All of this longing, all of this waiting, Christ is on the way. He is moving. And in much the same way, God says, you have to wait. But our struggle is this, is our timing is never God's timing. And we get frustrated because God doesn't move as quickly as we would like for God to move. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. It speaks of this. And you may recall in the Greek language, there are two words for time. There is chronos, which is time that when we look at a clock or we look at our watch, or we look at our iPhone, uh, that's chronos time. It's, it, 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 it makes sense to us. But the second word for time in the Greek language is the word kairos, which is what I call God's time. And we read about this in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. Paul writes this. But when the set time had fully come, the Kairos time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. And and that word sonship there, um, we need to understand that that, that's a technical term because what, what what the apostle Paul is saying here is he's saying, because the time has come, each one of us, whether male or female, we technically receive the term sonship. We are the firstborn son, which means we get all the rights, all the privileges of the firstborn son. And, and this is Kairos time. When the time had fully come, when the time was just right, that's when Christ arrived. People have been waiting and watching uh, since the days of Malachi for 400 years, but even 200 years before that, Habakkuk is writing about it saying, God, when are you going to show up? How long do I have to wait? This isn't fair. And we ourselves say much the same thing. I used this quote from James Baldwin several weeks ago, and I, and I love it. It says, the Lord never seems to get there when you want him. But when he arrives, he's always right on time. There are those times when we're like, God, you missed it. You blew it. You didn't show up on time. But what Baldwin understood and what the scriptures teach us, that when God does show up, it's always right on time. But it's because his time is different than our time. But Habakkuk says, God's going to show up. Christmas says, God showed up. Advent says God showed up and God will show up again when Jesus comes and makes all things right. That's what we watch and we wait for. And as we do this, and this leads to the third point, we keep the faith and we move out in hope. Habakkuk chapter one talked about that where it says, the righteous Habakkuk chapter two talked about that saying the righteous, the, the faithful person, the righteous person will live by faith. And, and, and that's, that's the great news that we, that we remind ourselves the righteous person will live by his faithfulness, her faithfulness. And so what happens and, and what's kind of fascinating then is the apostle Paul in, in the letter to the Romans picks up the same, same kind of language when he starts talking about the gospel This is Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. The Apostle Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, 
a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The apostle Paul, I mean, he's been tormented. He's been persecuted. He's been thrown in prison. And he says, I have no shame in the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel will not fail. And then as he wraps that up and he talks about the righteousness of God, he also says the righteous will live by faith. He pulls out Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, describing how it is that we are to live, that we live by faith. We keep the faith. Philip Yancey had this great quote, and I can't remember what book it's from, but, but this is the quote. He says, the trick of faith is to believe in advance what only makes sense in reverse. The trick of faith is to believe in advance what will only make sense in reverse. Faith. I have to believe in advance. And then when I look back on my life, I get to see the ways in which God was involved. But in that moment, I may not necessarily see that. Exodus chapter 3, verse 12 when God talks about leading the people out of Egypt and leading them toward the promised land. And Moses has all these questions and there's this great exchange of question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. And then we get to verse 12 and God says, this is how you're going to know I was with you. And God said, Exodus chapter three, verse 12, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt you will worship God on this mountain. Because Moses keeps saying, how will I know? How will I know, God? How will I know? How will the people know that I've been sent by you? How am I sure that you're really who you say you are? And, and notice what God does here, because God doesn't say, I'll prove it to you right now. No, 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 no. God says, when you all are out of here, when you get out of the land of, of Egypt, and when you have been freed from the bonds of slavery, and you come to this mountain and you worship, then you'll know. Because faith only makes sense when we believe in advance. It will only make sense in reverse. We believe it in advance. And then we look back and we see how God has been fully present. See, that's the faith I have to cling to. When I look around at our world, when I look at my friend Kathy and her losing her life, when I look, consider her, her friends and her family... I have to hold on to that faith. But I also have to move out in hope. We talked about this last week, that this, this hope comes from beyond. And I'm grateful for uh, one of our uh, church members, friend, who, who sent me this, this uh, comment from Jerry Grootman, who wrote the book called The Anatomy of Hope and How People Prevail in the Face of Illness. And it's all about this hope. He writes, hope, unlike optimism, is rooted in an unalloyed reality. The elevating feeling we experience when we see in the mind's eye a path to a better future. Hope acknowledges the significant obstacles and deep pitfalls along that path. True hope has no room for delusion. Clear-eyed hope gives us the courage to confront our circumstances and the capacity to surmount them for all my patients. And I love this line hope, true hope has proved as important as any medication I might prescribe 
or any procedure I might perform. We move out with hope. We come down off the watchtower and we move out into our community and into our world with a sense of hope. We look at the times around us and we say, God, how would you have us live? And hopefully that is that we live by faith. In J.R.R. Tolkien's great book, The Fellowship of the Ring, he describes this journey that Frodo, one of the hobbits, must take in order to deal with the ring. And Frodo is having this conversation with Gandalf, the magician. And, and Frodo is, is, is trying to make sense of it. And, and here's what we read. Frodo says, I wish it need not have happened in my time. And Gandalf's response is, so do I. And so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time given to us. Because Frodo is, is fighting against the darkness. He's fighting against the, the dark overlord. He doesn't really want the challenge that's been placed in front of him. And so he says, I wish it was someone different. I wish it was a different time. And Gandalf says, so do all of us. But the bottom line is this. This is the time that has been given to us. And he says, we all have to decide what to do with the time that is given to us. And so what will we do with this time that is given to us? I pray and I hope that we will cling to God. Let's be honest with God. God allows for that. Let's speak to God our concerns. But let us also make time to listen for what God has to say to us. Because our God is a God of revelation. Our God is a God who has ultimately revealed himself in Jesus Christ, the one whose birth we look forward to celebrating on Christmas. And finally, let's keep the faith and let's move out in hope. Seeking to live faithfully as God guides us and directs us. Seeking to make the most of the days given to us. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for your promise. Thank you for your presence. Thank you that even when we grow weary, you are with us. Lord, it's okay for us to cry out in lament and concern, to ask how long, to ask why. But God, let us also be reminded that you want to speak back to us, that you do have a word for us, that you do make it plain that you are with us. So Lord, let us make time for you during this Advent season and let us keep the faith and move out in hope. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.